Please open your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes 11. We have this week's message and next week's, and we will wrap up our study through this Old Testament wisdom book. And it's been challenging and encouraging. I hope it's been those things for you. We've left a lot on the table, so to speak, as we have moved through this book, but I think there has been just a really great time uh, to strengthen our hearts in God's truth and hopefully to even change and transform us. Several years ago, I ran across an article that was trying to offer some sage advice uh, to young people. Uh, It's particularly interesting in light of where this passage will actually focus on young people in particular. That doesn't mean those of us who are older or just flat out old can tune out during the service today. But many of you are young. You're in your younger years. And there are a lot of voices that try to speak into your life at this moment and give you words of encouragement or share wisdom or as this article does, Uh, try to give you some perspective. Listen to this. I'm just going to read about a paragraph or two, but this is specific to young people. Now is the time to do those things that, that you think you'll do later. Right now is the best time and the only time to start chasing those innermost urges and passions. Only now, when you have no debt and no responsibility to anyone but yourself, I just have to pause there and you know, blink three times and say, there's never been a time in your life when you have no responsibility to others, but that I'm getting ahead of myself. Only now can you run off to Europe and open a cafe. Only right now can you jump on a train to Colorado to ski for six months. Why would you go there when you live in Utah? Another aside. <laughs> Clearly the author does not live in or near the Intermountain West, right? Only right now can you quit your job to become an artist. Only right now can you be the person you always imagined, living in studio apartments, smoking weed, and becoming a yoga instructor. Only right now can you quit your job because you can't stop thinking about writing that novel. Your youth is fleeting and your time is precious. This time in your life won't come again and you will only look back on it with painful regrets of what if and I wish if you don't start taking advantage of it. This time is for following your gut and listening to your heart. Be young, be reckless, be stupid, be adventurous, be spontaneous and unpredictable. If you don't now, when will you? Now that appeals, actually it appeals to even some of the older folks in the room as well. Like, yeah, I should have thought about some of those things then. Is it too late now? Is that really sage advice? Well, before we're too quick to just say no, Uh, You know what's interesting to me is that there are actually pieces of this article that mirror the passage we're about to dive into. Pieces. But intermingled with that, there are some things that are conspicuous by their absence, things that should be said, God's wisdom and God's eternal truth that should be woven into that. And then there's some other things that are just flat out wrong. But there are some things that God wants a younger generation who are present here to consider. You know, the God who created you does in fact believe that youth is a fleeting opportunity to live out some things that you won't be able to do in later life. 
But rather than living recklessly, stupidly, and unpredictably, as this article and author encourages young people to do, uh, and, and I would insert, because those the choices like that often bring lifelong consequences that you will never unravel. But God himself encourages you at a young age to leverage the advantages of being young the days of your youth, to leverage them in an eternally significant way. And your life, your true identity that comes from your creator God, that even comes specifically through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, your personal purpose, and even your heart's joy and satisfaction in life are tied to your relationship to God. And if you try to navigate life, if you try to run off to Europe and open a coffee shop or quit your job to become an artist, but you are untouched tethered from a personal relationship with God, it will always end in disappointment. And you will enter your old age and say, I thought it would have turned out differently. What has happened? And what happened is you disconnected from the God who gives you life and breath and strength. So we're gonna look at again in Ecclesiastes and we're gonna listen to God's perspective on life. So your Bibles are open to Ecclesiastes 11. Uh, If you don't have a copy of God's word uh, that you own personally, you're welcome to not just use the, the printed Bibles that are available in the seat racks, take it with you after this service. Make it your own. Uh, this is a most remarkable book and it is alive with God's truth and wisdom and we want you to have it. So follow along. I'm gonna begin reading in Ecclesiastes 11, verse seven and we're gonna actually read through verse eight of chapter 12. Here we go. Ecclesiastes 11, verse seven. This is the word of the Lord. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation or anxiety from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the ears draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house, this is an amazing metaphor, okay? He's speaking in in poetical language here, not literal language. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the dark daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust that is your life, which was first formed out of the dust of the ground, as Genesis 1 and 2 tell us. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. 
Now, on a cold, rainy, cloudy day, I mean, that just feels like, oh, man. Uh, there's really good stuff here, so hang tight, all right? Trust me. We're going to focus on, on the really encouraging truth that is woven into this. But this is a realistic look, even through poetical language, about the deterioration of life. And some of you would relate to that whole thing of the grinders failing and you know the light uh, the, behind the windows is dimming and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but hold with me here. Let's, let's pause for prayer and ask God to give us his great grace and shepherding care as we work through this. Father, to this end we pray today that you would make us worthy of this divine call upon our lives and that you would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power and specifically by your dear Holy Spirit. Do it, Lord God, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in us personally, in this church, in this valley and community that we love so much. And we pray these things according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ that we have received by faith. Amen. Now go back to verses seven and eight. There's a very simple title for you, very profound, right? Live for God, but let's build toward that. Notice with me, first of all, in the opening verses, the preacher, Solomon, is reminding us that life is good. Uh, Life is sweet, or light is sweet, he says, that it's pleasing to the senses. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It's just another way of saying that it's good to be alive. And Matt walked us through a couple of uh, important chapters prior to this and made that big point for us. A second thought is that life is designed by God for rejoicing. He really does want you to be rejoicing, not just in weeks of Thanksgiving or around the holidays, but he wants you to experience the beauty of life, the, the things around us and that we experience that cause us to be glad and happy. Life is meant for rejoicing. Number three, life is relatively short. Look at the phrase, and he's gonna develop this a little bit more, but the days of darkness will be many. Now, Solomon, again, in wisdom literature, has happened so often is using a, a, a bit of poetry to help us understand some of the stark and difficult concepts of life, but the darkness that he is referring to simply is death. And it's coming. It's unavoidable. Um, 100% of the people who've lived on planet Earth have died except for a couple. And there were extraordinary circumstances where they just got a you know, direct flight into heaven. But the millions and millions and millions of others Um, nobody's exempt. Life is relatively short. And so when Solomon then comes to this point saying all that comes is vanity, I actually think, and track with me, I think this will become a little more apparent in the course of this passage. He's not throwing up his hands like, what's the point? There's no point in living. No, I think he is highlighting the fact that life is vapor-like. It's a mere breath. It's short in duration. Uh, In comparison to eternity, It's but a moment. And the question becomes for us as we begin to look at this truth, what should we do with our relatively short, vapor-like lives? Well, look at verse nine with me, please. And this is where he begins to build a case that especially when you're young, you need to live for God. Verse nine, rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. 
Now on the screen, I'm using this image again of a nail because remember, as Solomon is writing this book, he refers to God's wisdom as nails. They hold the framework of your life together. So here are a few more uh, nails that we can um, use. Um, Look at verse nine. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Now this is actually the seventh time in the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon has called us to rejoice. And we encounter this command back in chapter two, then again in three, several times, chapter five, chapter eight, and here, or in chapter nine, and now here in chapter 11. Note this carefully, youth is not the reason for joy, youth is the time for joy. I say that for the encouragement of you who've watched your youthful, uh, youthful energy and zeal diminish, and you're nearly out of gas. Uh, that doesn't mean you've lost a reason to be joyful. Uh, the, the, the preacher is pointing us to the reason or the time for joy. Youth is the time to cultivate joy in God. Youth is the best time to discover your gifts and abilities from God. Youth is the best time to develop habits for God. No, don't be reckless and stupid uh, as the author of that article I used in an opening was commending you to. Rather, use the advantages of your boundless energy, of your capacity for learning, and your enviable spontaneity to discover the life God has designed you for. Parents, if I can interject this, help your children discover who God has created them to be. We have a little bit of a cookie cutter mentality when it comes to you know, what the ideal American child should be. They should all be smart and straight A and athletic and musically gifted and just exceptional in every way. And you know the reality is that the vast majority of us are average, just average. You say, oh that, that hurts me. Oh, cover my child's ears. No, the sooner you come to grips with the fact that you and your kids are average, the happier you will be. There's a lot of pressure that begins to spool up, especially through the academic career. And some of you, like your kid brought home A's and B's and one D minus, and where does your attention go? The D minus. Maybe he's not actually created with extraordinary ability in trigonometry. Rejoice and praise God that he devours whole sections of of ancient literature that he can actually tell you a little bit about an author long dead named Geoffrey Chaucer, but to stare at his math book is discouraging to him. So why do we sometimes focus on those areas of weakness and deficiency? Now laziness is another issue. That's a character issue. But sometimes parents begin to push their kids down paths and into uh, areas of study or work or even recreation that the kid's going, I hate this. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's not because I'm unwilling to do what I'm being asked to do. It's just not me. So a little word of encouragement for parents. Now, the scriptures actually are gonna open up for us in a really neat way. Look at the second half of verse nine. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Now what's that all about? Is that a contradiction to what Jeremiah wrote in chapter 17, verse nine of his prophecy where he said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And that's a strong warning. 
Like there's stuff in your heart that will lead you astray. Is Solomon oblivious to that? Does God contradict himself in his word? No, I think it's actually given to us in a larger context of truth. I think it's cast in the larger context, first of all, of a passage like Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. Turn over to that passage with me. I want you to actually see that. This is the fifth book of the Old Testament, so go back toward uh, the beginning of the Bible. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. If you're using one of the, the Bibles provided from the seat rack, you'll find this on page 155. And here, Moses is the author of Deuteronomy, and God gave him this word. He's speaking to those he's just brought out of slavery in Egypt. And he says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Now, did you catch that little phrase in the middle of verse 12, to walk in all his ways? Whose ways first? God's ways. There's another passage. I won't have you turn there. You're welcome to, but Proverbs 22, verse 6, also written by Solomon. This is a word of encouragement for parents. Train up a child in the way. So we're encountering this term again, in the way he should go. And when he is old, what happens? He won't depart from it. And there's a little bit of discussion, if not even some debate about what way are we really talking about, but I think in the larger context, and even when you see these two passages connected with the one that's in front of us here, it does point us back that first of all, God has the authority to establish the way of your life, and he does that by his commands, his instructions, his law, in guiding us and putting boundaries around us, but also as creator, he has hardwired you and me in very specific and personal ways where in the larger framework of God's word and God's law, there are gonna be individual ways, pathways that emerge. That's one of the joys of parenting. Sometimes it's frustrating, but one of the joys of parenting is to help your child discover what is your way. Now, we're all called to keep God's ways, his commands and his words, but that's going to be lived out in very specific and individual ways. So bringing it back to Ecclesiastes for a moment, I think what God is pointing us to is that there is an assumption that we're tying this to previous commands like Deuteronomy 10, that there's a larger framework of our Uh, biblical understanding here and the challenge though is to begin to grow your heart and nurture it in God's truth in God's ways so that as you begin to live out your life personally you find your way it's not just a you know open season go do whatever you want and if you get into trouble ask God's forgiveness and you know make the apologies now there's something really beautiful here that unfolds I was thinking of the life of Eric Little, or Liddell. I'm not exactly sure how he would pronounce his name. There was a wonderful, uh, great movie that was released in 1981 titled Chariots of Fire. If you've never seen the movie, I I would say it was worth watching. It's hard to believe. Some of us remember as kids seeing that. 1981 is an age ago. It actually received four Academy Awards. That, That movie doesn't capture, though, the real story of Eric's life. He was actually the son of missionaries from Scotland who served in China. Born in 1902, 
and uh, he lived those early years with his parents, and then they returned to Scotland on furlough. And as was commonly the practice in those days, before they returned to China, they enrolled their two sons, um, who were very close in age. Eric had an older brother by two years, enrolled them in a, a boarding school, and just shy of his seventh birthday, his mom and dad returned to China. He entered school, had his brother there, didn't see his parents for another seven years. Now, when I shared that with Kristen, she was like, how could they do that? I'm like, it was the thing. You know, right or wrong, it was a thing. What is beautiful in this story, though, is that God, God kept hold of Eric. And uh, as he continued through schooling, one of the things that became evident is that he had tremendous physical abilities. And those of you who know the story or have read it would, would know he was not only really fast, but he got into rugby and other sports, and he just excelled, he and his brother. Well, it, as they approached the 1924 Olympics, he was actually appointed to uh, Great Britain's Olympic team. And there's a particular scene in the movie, uh, and I did a little research on my own, even found another uh, another author who is aware of this quotation that I'm about to share with you. Uh, we can't, there, there is no evidence that his sister actually said these words to them, to him, but it is consistent with how he was thinking and living his life at that moment. So now we can go to the next screen um, and look at, uh, that's a picture of Eric uh, competing. But this is a powerful moment, and I think it helps to illustrate what God has in mind when he says, follow your heart, follow the ways of your heart. In that scene, his, his sister is appealing to him uh, to forego the Olympics and to return to China as a missionary. It's a tender scene, and she is really wrestling with why her brother would give himself to what she describes as a worldly activity. And he says to his sister, I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China, but he also made me fast And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give that up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Liddell went on to win the bronze medal in the 200 and the gold medal in the 400, even setting what was then a world record. I think that helps to illustrate what it means to walk in the ways of your heart. And you know, God made some of you athletic, play ball to honor him. God made some of you creative and artistic to paint or compose or write is to honor him. God made some of you communicative and verbal, so to speak or post is to honor him. God made some of you logical and quizzical and to research and develop new technology is to honor him. And God made some of you risk takers Like, that boggles my mind in some regards, but I'm glad for you because for you to organize and operate a business and assume the financial risk of just getting that started and off the ground is to honor him. So don't be reckless or stupid, but you can be adventurous and spontaneous and even somewhat unpredictable, to use a term again that the author from that article wrote, but do it within the parameters of God's unchangeable eternal law and do it as an act of honor and glory for him. Now, go back to Ecclesiastes 11. 
And look at the next phrase before us. But know for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now that may seem like a threat, but it's really not. It's just real perspective on your life. You know, there are actually two judgment seats that the scriptures reveal to us. One is actually a a judgment that believers, true followers of Jesus Christ, will experience and undergo. The other is for those who've rejected God's call to repent of sins and put their faith in him. Now both are gonna be awesome in their own right. Let me talk about the great white throne judgment for just a moment because it may be possible that some of you in this room who've never seen the need to turn from your sins into faith in Jesus Christ, you need to be warned. A day is coming in eternity where if you live out your days on planet earth, never having exercised your faith in Jesus, you will be called to that great judgment day. It's wholly terrifying. If you want to read the full description, you could go to the last book of the Bible and in Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11, the description is there. But my dear friends, nobody survives that great white throne judgment intact. It's a place of condemnation. It's a place of judgment. And the scene that unfolds is absolutely breathtaking. But you can avoid that judgment. You can avoid that judgment if you will believe the gospel that says Jesus Christ came and died the death you deserved for your sins, bore all of your sins in his body on the cross that as he died the death you and I deserve, God also opened a way of forgiveness. And I know personally that many of us in this room have put our faith in that work that God did through his son Jesus Christ. We don't deserve forgiveness, we don't deserve the gift of eternal life, but that's the package deal that God offers and it is awesome. But there is a second judgment that the Lord describes. It's actually not a judgment that leads to condemnation, It's just a judgment of final assessment. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes of it in the New Testament uh, letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, he said, Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In the second letter he wrote to the Corinthians, he comes back to this and even uses a specific term for this particular judgment seat. Listen to this. We must all appear, and he's talking to the household of faith. We must all appear before the judgment seat, or bema, B-E-M-A, is the uh, transliteration of the Greek word. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And Paul goes on in these letters to actually describe that some of the stuff we've devoted ourselves to is gonna burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. It's actually worthless. It's not sin that would be condemned. That's already been dealt with in Christ. But, you know, let's be honest. There are things that we do day in and day out that aren't gonna stand the the test of this judgment seat, and it it is kind of pointless. Well, what Solomon says, is reminding young people of in particular, but all of us need to take note, is that for all the things we give ourselves to, in that way we walk the ways of our hearts, God will bring it into judgment. He's gonna have the final word of assessment. So the question for us is, it must be for all ages, am I actually living on mission, on purpose, living out my way within the greater context of God's way so that when that final assessment is done, he will simply look at my life and say, well done. Well done, good and faithful service. 
servant. And, and there are gonna be many people who hear that. Now, lest you be discouraged and almost you know, backed into a corner of some kind of paranoid paralysis, you know, lest you think that every little thing that God uh, you know, will judge and assess would be counted worthless. Remember, this is the same God who through Solomon has been saying all through this book, eat your food, drink your beverage, dress in white, uh, anoint your head, enjoy life, it's my gift to you. So every act doesn't have to be what we would sometimes say, a deeply spiritual act. Live, but just remember, we're all gonna stand before God one day. You know, after returning to China and serving as a missionary, Liddell was asked if he had regret for leaving the success and spotlight of athletics because he basically finished the Olympics in 1924 and by 1925 he was in China. And he responded, it's natural for a chap to think over all that sometimes, but I'm glad I'm at the work I'm engaged in now. Listen to this, a fellow's life counts for far more at this mission work than the other, even running in the Olympics. You see, here's, here's a young man who, who by his mid-20s had really figured out the important stuff in life. It, it didn't mean that he said no to running fast to the glory of God. It just meant he didn't live his entire life trying to run that particular race, but said there actually is something even more important than that. And that's part of maturity and speaking to young people specifically, figuring out the stuff that I am responsible to do, the things that God wants me to do. That's why it actually is important that like your mom says to you every single day of your life, please make your bed. That's actually a little form of discipline where you're learning to assume responsibility for life, for your little world. I used to say to my, my sons in particular, when they were really little, Dad, I'm building a fort out back. Can I use a tool? Can I use a shovel? And I would say to them, yes, you can, but you need to take it back where it's stored. And I remember having that conversation with Luke, especially when he was just a little guy. And, you know, and from his vantage point, it's like, I just need a shovel. I don't care about where it's stored or where it goes back. But God gave me the presence of mind to say at that moment, it's one of the few parenting moments, I'm like, yeah, I think I did it right. Um, <laughs> But I, I stopped him for a minute. I said, you know, one of these days you're gonna wanna drive my car. And you know how I'm gonna be able to trust you with the keys to my car when you're a teenager? And you know, he's wide-eyed at this point, just like laser-locked. And I said, can I trust you with my shovel today? Young people, don't squander those things. Some of you are fighting with mom and dad about a curfew time. And in light of eternity, it doesn't matter if you're home at 9.30 or 12.30. Now, to you, it seems like it. But learn to honor mom and dad and take the responsibility that they entrust to you, however small it is. And if you want to be treated like an adult, and all of you should, that's a good thing, begin to act like it. The problem is, parents, we, we say that in the heat of the moment, right? So I'm, I'm saying some, I'm starting that conversation when there's no heat you know, between you and, and your child or between you and your parent at this moment. Here's a young man who even though for his formative years, I mean, as a six-year-old, he's, he's dropped off in a, a boarding school. And yes, it was a different time and a different era. That had to be hard to grow up without mom and dad around. But God was at work in his heart and he had figured it out by the time he is an Olympic athlete at the age of 22. This is important, but stuff that's coming down the road toward me is even more important. I gotta give myself to the right thing. 
That's what it means to walk in the ways of your heart and at the same time know that you'll stand before God one day. Oh, there's such wisdom here. Look at verse 10. Remove anxiety from your heart. God's actually saying your life is too short to spend it being anxious. And life is too short to waste it on things that are going to bring you pain. One author writes, the exhortation to follow one's inclinations, verse 9, does not endorse the reckless following of every impulse. Awareness of divine judgment, which we just looked at, turns the pursuit of joy away from crossing over into sins. And the meaning is that one should not be weighed down by vexation or anxiety over the human condition that we find in the world today, but to the degree that carefree happiness uh, becomes impossible. No, the days of youth and vigor are few. And I would simply add, so live for God. I think that's one of the things that the younger generation is really stressed about right now. Does my life matter? Will my life count? And you know, there is an answer to that. God says, I created you. First of all, there's more significance to your life than you can really begin to fathom. You are my created one. You're created in God's image, which elevates you way above that you know, pet you love at home or that exotic animal on the other side of the earth. God's called you into relationship with him. Imagine that, the God of the universe desires to be in relationship with you today. That builds significance and value into your world and God has actually created you knowing that he's designed you uniquely and you're gonna, when you actually discover out of relationship with him the way that he wants you to walk in, you're gonna find such joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. You'll look around one day and say, this is amazing. And you hear little distorted echoes of it in the culture when people say things like, find something you love to do and make that your vocation. Well, that's actually just a little dim reflection of what God is saying right here in this passage. Only it's not up to you to fabricate it. It's up to you to walk in right relationship with God day by day, and as you're faithful doing that, then you almost stumble into these remarkable moments where like, this is what I was created for. Now go to chapter 12 with me. And look at the next word. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Remembering is more than just, you know, thinking back to something or recalling a truth you once knew. And you can see there are three key parts on the the screen there before you. Remembering God as your creator has to do with reverencing him for who he is. You're actively recalling. That's part of the reason even the text of the songs and the scripture references that we read through earlier in the service were either actively recalling past works of God, mighty acts that we've experienced, or pointing us that direction and calling us to remember. So it has to do with reverence for who he is. Second of all, gratitude for what he does. And there are many blessings that he has poured out on us. And then finally, this kind of remembering leads you and me to take decisive action for him. It may mean following him. It always means surrendering fully to him. 
It may be serving him in a way that you've kind of wondered about. It may be that he leads you through a process of surprising discovery to something like, I never even thought of that. But once you're there, as an act of faith and active remembering, you will delight in what he has revealed to you. Remembering is, is key to our growth in this life of faith. Turn over to Psalm 77 with me for a moment. And actually this portion is printed on the screen so you're welcome to just look at that as well. Here the psalmist writes, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. Remembering God as your creator, as your king, is the key to finding joy in life. Another author writes, to remember him is to drop self-sufficiency and commit ourselves to him. There can be no half measures or temporalizing Youth and the whole span of life are not too much to pour into it. It is in this spirit that we are made to face once more the fact of our mortality. And that's exactly where the preacher goes in this passage. Look at verse two. Remember, or verse one. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say. And that's the first of three befores. In the days of your youth, worship, serve, Follow, live for God before the evil days come. Hard days are coming. Just talk to some of your parents and grandparents who are doing with, dealing with health issues and you just don't even begin to understand why they wake up in the morning and they just hurt and they kind of hobble around the house as they're getting things warmed up and ready to go and you're like, dad, what's your deal? And he doesn't want to admit it, but he's you know, looking at his own lifespan and going, man, I, they told me this was happening. I just can't believe I'm here right now. So be careful, kids. Don't discourage your parents. It's just a real deal. They're dark days. And you say, is that what I have to look forward to? Kind of. Which is part of the reason that Solomon is saying here, rejoice in your youth. Live for God now, because it's gonna get harder. Before the light goes out and other stuff in verse two. Ugh. And then before the silver cord is snapped, and we're not totally sure what silver cord that is, but you know it's metaphorical language. The end is coming. That whole picture from verses three through six of a decaying house, that, that's the metaphor for the human body. And it does break down. Shingles start falling off. Electrical system begins to fail. Plumbing needs to be repaired. I mean, it just, it just goes. Now, lest you be discouraged, look at verse eight. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And again, he's not throwing up his hands like there's no point. No, he's just reminding us that life is brief. Parts of it are really hard. Just make sure you're not limiting your life and perspective to what's under the sun. It's a great picture today that it's cloudy and rainy kind of gloomy here under the clouds which themselves are under the sun but if we could get above it for a moment here we'd see the sun is shining you guys are taking off Matt and Colleen are flying this afternoon across the country they're going to lift up above all this gloom and murkiness and they're going to spend at least a part of the afternoon in the sunshine and you know for God's people we recognize that though it's hard and difficult and challenging right now 
Oh, God's light is eternally shining and his light is, his love is eternally flowing out for his people. And he knows the suffering and he knows the difficulty. He's just saying, live for me now. Life is a vapor. James 4, verse 14 reminds us, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. But that doesn't render your life as being insignificant, does it? That doesn't mean your, your days are filled with futility. No, there's grand value and grand purpose for every single one of us. After the Olympics, I mentioned that Liddell returned to northern China to serve as a missionary, and he served there from 1925 to 1943. He was an ordained minister at that point. He taught school, served in a variety of functions in the larger mission work that he was a part of. He married a woman named Florence, and together they actually had three daughters, but the last, the last daughter he actually never met. His last mission assignment was given to him in 1941 at a rural mission station among the poor. His brother, who was a medical doctor, was giving care and Eric was simply serving in whatever way he could. But because of Japan's invasion of China in those days, the situation had become so dangerous that Eric, with his wife, decided that she should leave, pregnant with their third daughter, and take the other two girls and head to Canada. In 1943, he was interned at an internment camp. He became a leader and organizer at the camp, but food, medicine, and other supplies were scarce. He busied himself by helping the elderly, teaching Bible classes at the camp school, arranging games, and teaching science to the children, and they referred to him as Uncle Eric. A fellow internee named Norman Cliff described Liddell as the finest Christian gentleman it has been my pleasure to meet. It is rare indeed that a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close to it as anyone I have ever known. And on February 21st, 1943, far from his wife and daughters, on the other side of the world, in a forgotten internment camp, Liddell died of a brain tumor. But doing exactly what God had created him and called him to do. I don't know that he would have thought in these terms or ever spoken these lines, but I can't help but wonder, the same man who stood with his sister many years, just, well, not that many, 18 or 19 years before that, saying, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. If he would have said, and God made me a missionary for China, and when I serve these poor children and teach a class and help the elderly in this difficult spot, I also feel his pleasure. I do this to honor him a special appeal to young people your life is shorter than you can imagine your God is greater than you can imagine he has created you and called you for eternally significant things and at this moment it might be shooting a free throw from a painted line on a wooden basketball court and an orange iron rim it might be singing in the Christmas program in a couple of weeks that you really don't want to sing in your mom's there like oh honey you have such a beautiful voice and you do 
Sing to honor him and may God give you the sense of whether you're shooting a free throw or singing in the school chorus that you're not that thrilled about that God delights in you in that moment that you feel his pleasure and that you, like Eric Liddell at the end of your life might look back happily and say yeah and, and that is the last word he was reported as saying before he passed into eternity but not with reluctance or sorrow or sadness but with all joy saying because of God and who he is and because of God and what he's done it's all surrender would you bow your heads with me please for the young people first of all have you given thought to the God who created you? When was the last time you thought about how powerful he is? How creative he is? How good he is? How loving and kind? How holy he is? In the true sense of the word, he is awesome. And he's your creator. Young person, are you actively remembering him? And related to that, are you thinking or beginning to think about, I wonder what way God would have me to walk in? Now, if you're ignoring the clear commands to obey, to serve, to love, to surrender, you're not gonna find a specific way for you. He wants you to learn the big way first and then enter the more personal way. And you know, if you've never surrendered your heart to him fully, your life, your future, your plans, your dreams, all of it, if you've never done that, this is the day. Would you do that right now? You say, how do I do that? You just whisper a, well, a silent prayer from your heart at this moment is appropriate. God, I believe you're my creator. I believe you have authority over my life. I want to honor you and walk in your way, and I want to find my way. Simple prayer like that. You who are older, some of you have never surrendered. You're still trying to negotiate the terms of your life and your way with God, and he's saying, I, I'm not interested in negotiating my way as Deuteronomy uh, reminded us just a moment a moment ago is not only designed for my glory it's designed for your good but some of you don't believe that right now you struggle to believe that God has a good way for you to walk in but it's never too late this is the day will you surrender final word for parents We're with you here. You know, it's not the job of any pastor or children's worker or youth leader to disciple your child. We're here to partner with you, but some of you may have actually been thinking more in worldly terms about how to educate your child, how to to get them, you know, motivated and moving and the success that you have for them, but is is it actually God's way that you're pursuing for your child or is it actually your way? I mean, you've got plans, yeah, but I, I just think my child should, or, well, really? Is that clearly from the Lord? And Maybe you need to back up a step and just 
surrender your plans and dreams and hopes and ambitions for your child. And some of you actually need to stop living vicariously through your child and just say, Lord, help me to be a wise and loving parent and together discover the ways of their heart that would honor you. It's a joyful thing sometimes for a parent to sit down with a child and say, can we talk? I think I may have been putting a lot of pressure on you. You know, continue taking piano lessons. And when a, a child who's old enough to actually have significant perspective and wisdom to say, oh, I would love to quit because I want to focus on. Some of you might need to have that conversation or one like it today. Father, we yield ourselves to you. There's not one of us here who knows the beginning from the end. There's not one of us here who has the power to control one second of the future. Would you forgive us for operating in that kind of delusion? And would you bring us again to that sweet place of surrender where we acknowledge that you are the creator, sovereign over all things, that you really do make all things beautiful in your time? Just give us the patience to wait for your time. Have mercy on us. Whether individually or sometimes in a family context or work or, or ministry, we've We've made choices, initiated things that really weren't directed by your hand, but we were pursuing a, a family dream or a personal ambition. And thank you for checking us. And I pray that here at Gospel Hope, you would grow that sense of delight, of true joy and rest that comes in, in just being in right relationship with you and saying, You're, he's God, we're not. Isn't that great? Bless us, not because we deserve it, but because it's in your nature and we're so needy. What a beautiful match. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.